Hi, welcome to Literally, a podcast about teaching literature. I'm Margaret Moss. And I'm Paige Wallace. And we're jumping in to the dreaded group project. Have you experienced that? Like anytime you mention a group project in class, your students' like faces go ashen? <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, absolutely. Like every time. And like, I feel slightly guilty because I feel like whenever people mention group projects to me, I'm like, oh, but we're essentially in a very large group project uh, <laughs> ongoing. So, and I love it, but I, I did not enjoy group projects in college. I mean, I get on one hand, like even as an undergrad student, I understood like I had to learn how to work with others and be able to adjust my approach to compromise and play to everyone's strengths. But there is that fear of like giving up your control or like being dependent on other people. And it's also that that understanding, especially in college, that your professor, your instructor, your teacher is not going to help you negotiate every single conflict that arises. And that fear of like, what if there's an asshole in my group? <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I think like scaffolding for group projects is really important. Like, I know, I, I don't think that for me, group projects can be successful when you're just kind of like, here's the project. I'm never going to talk to you about it again. You guys figure out everything. And so there's like a balance. Yeah. There's like a balance of, I can't solve your problems for you, but I also want to give you some scaffolding in terms of how to approach this project. So what are some scaffolding steps that you, you incorporate when you give a group project for uh, people listening you do much more group project work than I do. So you're kind of the expert on this. I mean, okay. I don't like to be expert on anything, (laughs) um, but I always, always, always have them read group contracts. Um, And so like I'll share a folder with example group group contracts and then I have them write their their own. So it's not a fill in the blank. It's sort of like, okay, you guys have seen a bunch of examples of group contracts, like three to five examples. And now you need to come up with your own group contract and you have to say, okay, this is like, these are the behaviors that will get you kicked out of this group. Um, And you set that at the very beginning, whether that's, and, and I tell them to like, you know, think about, setting up rules that you would want to have to follow. So like, if it's something like, if you miss one meeting, you're out of the group, is that reasonable? Would Mm -hmm. you want um, that imposed on you? And so setting some reasonable rules that everybody can follow and knowing that like, it's not a situation of like, well, I like this person. I don't like this person. It's they're following our standards. They're not following our standards, right? They're doing what they're supposed to. They're not doing what they're supposed to. And so being really frank about that in the beginning and having them flesh it out gives them the chance to talk through like, I don't want to be responsible for this whole group project. I need, these are the things, you know, that I'm willing to do. What are you willing to do? Um, And, you know, having that conversation at the very beginning and then they turn in their group contracts to me and I keep them like on file. So, cause I I have had students who have been asked to leave a group and I I also include in, in um, the group contract file, like some work, some verbiage for like, here's an email you would send to say like, Hey, you've broken the rules. You're going to have to complete the project on your own. Um, And I've had students that, have been asked to leave groups before and they come to me and you know they're upset because they have to complete the project on their own now or take a zero and they're like you know 
that my group's being unfair, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, let's look at the group contract. You know, did you do this? Right. Did you fulfill this agreement that you signed and saying that you would? Um, and that's only happened twice. And, and both of those times the student had like that moment of like, no, I didn't like, I missed every meeting and (laughs) I didn't do my part. Um, and that, that's, one part of the scaffolding and then the others like I always give time in class so like if we're meeting face-to-face I always do time in class for them to brainstorm or work together like some days that are kind of like workshoppy days where they can um you know see, see each other in during the set time that is already set so um and and then I can also kind of meander around and hear like how things are going and the group dynamics kind of are become obvious after a couple couple of those kind of sessions. Um, and the other thing about my group projects and scaffolding is that I never have a group project that is just the final product. It's mm. a series of stages, right? Like, um, like whether it's like a proposal or a pitch or something, um, an annotated bibliography, and then a final. There, there are always some steps there. So again, you don't get to the final and realize that you have a partner who isn't going to do anything. You realize that in the pitch part, okay, this person's not doing their part, um, at least usually. Yeah. So what are some group projects that you include in the, in your literature classes? Because I was trying to think about what group projects I did as an undergrad and the only one I could really remember for my lit classes was um, we had to write an essay with a partner in response to um, Gloria Anseldua's Speaking in Tongues, where we had to think about our voice and our partner's voice and write an academic essay together, um, which was, you know, really useful as a way to think about theory and balancing voices, but um it was kind of the solo and I know I have some group projects I incorporate, but they're sort of more standard. Whereas I'm interested to, to kind of expanding that, that. Yeah. So I've done a, a lot of group projects um, and some, so these are some ones that I'll highlight. One I did um, where they had to do a group coggle. Do you guys, do you know what coggle is? Oh, I've, it's kind of think- like a mind map um, and it's a Google um, app. And so they, they mind, they were all taught, like did a coggle on the same novel, but they chose um, a particular theme and trace mm-hmm. that theme throughout the novel. And okay. so how does it manifest? What are some quotes? Um, had to have a certain number of secondary sources to back up like their readings of the themes. Um, and it had to like have multimedia elements in it. And then the thing that I did with that um, class specifically, or I've done this more than one time, but one specific class, I paired it with a friend's uh, class, like intro to literature class. So um, we're both teaching the same class, two different sections. And um I was covering her classes for like a couple weeks. And so I had that, those students do the same pro like in class project. So they did this group work in class. Um, and then I gave them the same themes to cover cause we were working with the same novel. Um, it was actually um, Karen Russell's Swamplandia. So okay. we, 
those students in the other section came up with their own mind maps. And then I reserved a large um, like classroom and had them meet at the same time one day um, if they could, right? So, um, and they got to compare their mind maps with the outside group. Oh, fun. And, yeah, and it, was, it was really fun actually um, to kind of see like how, you know, the crossovers and, um, but also the differences between just like two different groups of like two classes that are talking about the same thing. But, you know, my group of students had, had they, they'd been in my class all semester. So they were going in particular paths that the other group of students that had a different instructor weren't going in because they were some like they were doing different yeah, stuff right they had different emphasis yeah so it was really fun um and that so the, so coggle is one um i've also had students build wix sites um as a as groups um in an intro to literature class and in a women in literature class no no that's wrong it's not my women in literature class. It was short story, perspective short stories. Um, and the Wix sites are kind of similar. Um, so everyone has this, like uses the same novel, but you have to come up with your own thesis for it. And it's almost like, um, so what's the website for a research paper look like, right? So... Um, it begins with like an intro, a summary of the novel, but spe a, a specific kind of summary, right? So like if what you're talking about has to be highlighted in the summary, then your analysis of it with like quotes on one page. And then um, I had them do responses to critical essays. And so a lot of times my group projects are like, semester long or they stick with the same group for a bunch of mini projects throughout so in this class each like unit came with a different group project and there were days like in the class where they were working on it so this would work really well for like a flip classroom model so I'm not going to talk about it too much because I think we're going to do an episode on flip model like classrooms wow. in the literature in literature but um but yeah, that, that was one. Um, and so I guess that's to say, like, I don't do a lot of like write an essay together mm -hmm. um, because I would hate that. And so I haven't, I don't, I don't, I don't do it. Um, I also do like, I've had projects that are optional for group work. Mm -hmm. So like podcast, um, if you do it by yourself, then it only has to be 25 minutes. If you have a partner from class, then it's 50 minutes, right? Um, and you can have as many, like as few, or like it can just be a partnership or it could be a group of three or four. It would just need to um, like make those decisions early on and, and do it. Um, so that felt jumbled, but no, I think you gave us a lot of good places to start. Um, I'm going to pick up with your last point about the optional group project. Um, I do that as well in my upper level lit classes that my final project for them, they can opt to do the traditional individual term paper. And I have the prompts that they can do to that for that. 
but they can also opt for one of several individual projects or one of several group projects. And one of the options like, like for you is the podcast. Mm-hmm. One is a business proposal. One is creating an online exhibit. Um, what was another? There, there, was some, there was one or two other group projects options that, that were there, but um, they could decide. And they, the way they signed up for it for me was they, by the end of the semester in my lit classes, they are comfortable talking to one another, but that doesn't mean they're like friends outside the classroom. So I have them sign up for their first and second choices for all of the projects. So if they like sign up first choice individual term paper, they just are given that. And then for the group projects, then um, I can put like, see who wants to do like a podcast and, and as their first choice and kind of let them know, these are your podcast people. Um, if like someone signs up for a business proposal and nobody else does, then we can have that chat. I've never had only one person sign up. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when they sign up for a group project, they I think I had an option that they could indicate if they wanted to work with someone specifically or if they just didn't care. Um, so that way you didn't have to have a partner to sign up for a group project because I didn't want that to be a deterrent of, well, I don't have any friends in this class, so I can't do a business proposal because I don't have anyone to do it with. Um. And it was really fun. We did something similar, I guess, to what you were talking about with the, the classroom and, and comparing and contrasting. Because we, in my lit classes, I do at least two rounds of peer edits for the final project. And so for one of the rounds, I had the group projects, a group, group project groups <laughs> um, who were focusing on the same projects edited each other's work so like the business proposal groups worked together the exhibits worked together and it was really cool for them to see each other's work because it's a lot of people peer editing the same thing so you heard the conversations and it was so just oh uh, I don't know the the word like validating not validating I don't know it was just great to hear them be like your project is amazing I'm so impressed can you tell me how you did this they were really focused on the skills they were developing which was nice um and it was just re- they were really supportive of one another and I do think that is somewhat the nature of the upper level lit classes because you're getting students who want to be there, not students who have to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that does make a big difference for group projects in terms of the overall engagement and investment. I don't have to worry as much about students not participating because it's material they're interested in for the most part. Yeah, I think you're right about that, that they're they're more invested in that. Yeah. In that collaboration. Yeah. And I think that's something either like you have to give a variety of projects. So that way they're picking something they're invested in and are really going to spend the time and be thoughtful and thorough. Or if it's just one set group project, you really have to explain the skills they're developing. So the traditional kind of group project I do in my lit classes is a presentation that as a group, they sign up to present on a specific critical article we're reading for that semester, mm-hmm. uh, something theoretical. And I do it as a group because theory is hard. <laughs> like 
And even now I feel like I best understand theory or any sort of criticism when I can talk it out with someone. It helps me better understand the ideas, catch what I'm missing, understand context better. And so I want them to have that opportunity um, to start talking about it with one another and assessing it and playing off of each other's ideas and responses. And I give them a list of things their presentation has to address with the article. So they have to talk about the context in which the article was written. They have to um, summarize it overall in their own words, like what's the primary argument um, and what assumptions is the article making to support this art argument. And then they discuss the strengths and weaknesses of the article overall. And then they pose, um, they apply it to the work we're currently reading. Like how does this fit with what we're reading as a novel right now? And then they pose one or two questions to the class. And they do a really good job with it overall. Like I'm always really impressed. However, I see for the most part, because there's these set requirements of what they want to cover. And I, I do that so that way they start thinking like, this is how you read an academic work. You figure out like, what's the context? What are they responding to? Um, you figure out what's their primary purpose? What are their goals? What works, what doesn't? And how does this fit <laughs> with everything? But they end up breaking it up. Like you cover strengths, you cover weaknesses, you cover context. And I mean, it all comes together in the end and I'm not gonna fault them for that, but I do wonder in the end how much dialogue they're having with each other. It seems like they talk, but. So I'm glad you went there because I was thinking about as you're talking about this project and I've done those like critical presentation uh, projects before. And this, and you're right that this idea that theory is something that for me also conversation discussion helps unpack it. Um, and so I was thinking about how we could present uh, discussion models in our classroom as collaboration. Um, you know, because like so often points of discussion are like happening parallel to one to each other. Our students are like not exactly talking to each other, but like talking beside each other. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if you've done fishbowl before. I mean, it's not groundbreaking. I've, a lot of people have done it, but uh, where you sit everyone around the outside of the circle and then two people are in the inside oh, talking back and forth to each now. other. Yeah. So like you can't like the people on the outside of the circle are supposed to take notes um, and but they're they don't talk and you kind of go in and tag like for me I do it where they can tag someone um, out after a certain number. So like usually I'll give the people inside the circle two minutes and then someone from outside can go in and choose which person they want to take out take their place right but just I wonder like about modeling or presenting discussion as collaboration to students and and sort of saying what about like when you're in those those situations of fishbowl if you're in seat a you always have to ask questions and if you're mm -hmm. in seat b you have to give points right and and vice versa like have them switch around from seat a to b trying to foster back and forth discussion as collaborating 
in terms of ideas? Yeah, I guess I do that a little bit with the project that I've mentioned before, the um, critical conversations essays that I do, which are the flash essays where they write the flash essay before class. And then during class, they respond to their partners using one of the four approaches we discuss. And so just like to refresh that they can agree and with where they agree overall from start to finish with what the other student has said, but then they have to build off of it. So like, what's the next step with this? Where else could we apply this? Why else might this be important? Um, There's the agree, but where they agree with the student, other students analysis, but they disagree with the conclusions the student is drawing from it. So like the example I give them when it's not literary is that like a student's writing an essay about the public school system having problems and they're, and, and they point out problems and, and everyone agrees like, yes, these problems exist, but then their conclusion from this analysis is, and this is why we should destroy all public schools. Where it's like, well, that's, I would argue this. <laughs> um, and then agree yet, where they agree with the student, yet they think they overlook a key component, which would maybe add some further nuance or another perspective, and then disagree because, where you just disagree with the, the premise from start to finish. And we talk about how do you disagree respectfully, professionally, um, and productively. And they just practice that throughout the semester. They did like somewhere between four and six of these essays. And they had the option to turn these essays into their term papers and incorporate the, the student response. And they would have a whole 15 minutes to respond. So it was like, how do you build off of someone else's ideas? How do you help them improve? But it was more about close reading and analysis, not theory. So it'd be interesting like how to move that sort of work to theory. Cause I find that that project actually very productive. And my students often like like that the most. And I always think they'll hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I stole that from you. So I've used that like last semester I used that. Um and so I'm also thinking about what if you just have like a waterfall of responses. So like, you know how you have it like where it's the person writes their response, writes their position, and then a student responds to it with a agree and agree, but um, disagree because, and then what if that keeps going? So like almost like a, a paper train, right? So like you pass the paper to the next person and they read both and add their own, pushing them in the sense of saying like, every time you do this, it's gonna get harder because you're gonna feel like everything's been said. But remember, like you have a unique position in the world. You have like you have the potential to add something to this. That would be so cool to do at like as not partners, but as group groups throughout the semester. So like you would have, you know, if it's a class of 25, five groups of five, and it's those groups for the whole semester. And each like time one student from each group brings in the essay for that time and it goes around the circle yeah and like they can all be reading the original essay while like the waterfall happens so they're not just sitting there yeah like to start developing their ideas but that would be really cool because they would also start developing each group kind of like what you talked about with the your the two classes they just end up having their own distinct emphasis just because of dynamics and instructors yeah each group would end up having its own focus based off of what they'd been talking about prior. And I think I would really emphasize like 
like you know the thing that happens on discussion boards or blog posts where the first person who comments and says something really useful everybody else just piggybacks on them and so that would sort of be part of the objective of this lesson how do you avoid doing that right don't bullshit this um because sometimes that's what they're doing and sometimes it's that they don't know what else to say really helpful to actually give them formulas like it should be this length it should be this and 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 I know that that can be seen as hand-holding but it's like you said sometimes they just don't know what to do so how can they develop the skills if they don't even know where to start yeah and you can always pull back on those formulas later right so like if this is something you're coming back to multiple times in the semester hey I gave you this formula at the beginning of the semester to help you get started but now you you know what to do so take it and do something you know take it and do your own thing with it that could be really really Cool. I'm also in my head though, since you brought up the discussion boards, one of my students once uh, tweeted about the way the discussion boards work of like someone's, someone starts it off with like, I like bread. And then everyone else is like, I too like bread baguettes. (laughs) It's just, I see that you like bread. Have you considered the ways that we like bread are also the way we like bread? I like bread. (laughs) Yeah. So moving beyond that, where they're just not regurgitating whatever the first person has said, but I think like we've been saying, you can get formulas, you can give models and, and it's going to be the practice over time is what really helps. Yeah, absolutely. Though I think that is a sort of activity that works best face to face because there has to be a sense of trust that's fostered. That's hard to do with the black boxes. Um, there's something about being face-to-face, seeing people's body language, being able to go off script briefly without derailing the entire moment that helps you connect as people and, and then respect everyone's ideas and trust that they'll respect yours. And physically passing papers, dude. I miss doing that. I miss seeing students do that. Yeah. There's something there that's different. Yeah. There's something about that tangibility. Tangibility award. Yeah, absolutely. You said it. It's a word. (laughs) My brother said that the other day to me. I said it and I gave you a definition. It's a word. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think that would be really productive and a way that feels less pressure of like the traditional group projects of if my partner doesn't pull their weight, I fail. There's really of everyone has, whoever's participating gets the full effect of the project and those who aren't participating don't get to participate. That was also, I miss about in-person classroom for group projects is you don't have to raise the stakes for like them needing to participate. The shame of being in the room and not being prepared were, was enough incentive of, oh, I don't want to be the only person in my group sitting there and have to go to the instructor and say, I don't have anything for today. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Uh, That's also how it works with workshops too. Yeah. You don't want to be the only person that doesn't have your draft. I mean, social pressure is sometimes a very effective academic tool. I mean, it is. I wanted to circle back to the group presentation because I guess this touches on the social pressure a little bit. So when my students give group presentations at the end, 
as I said, they have to pose at least two questions to the class. And I tell them at the start, I'm not talking during this. I'm not someone who's giving an answer. This is for you guys to talk to each other and work through these ideas. If they have a factual question, I'm happy to answer that if they just like want to know, like, was this happening at this time period? Was this critic aware of this? Like, yes, I can, I can give that to help foster the conversation, but they're just talking to each other. And in the intro levels, those discussions tend to be like 10 to 15 minutes, which is still really good. A number of people talk, but in the upper level of classes, they could be 20 to 30 minutes minimum. Um, the presentations were typically 20 minutes and then the conversation could sometimes last the rest of class where I had to go in knowing that my lesson plan for that day was an optional lesson plan that I could scratch if they were just having an in-depth discussion about this theory and the way we could apply it. And that's super impressive, Margaret. Yeah, it, it was, the students really rose to the occasion, but what I realized it was because since I wasn't talking there wasn't that same pressure of performance. It was them talking to one another about their ideas. And yes, I'm there. So and they know that I'm there, but it really became like this more to stay on topic. <laughs> but I remember, I always think about this one moment where they were talking about this essay about the use of jazz in, um, in the black literature tradition. And they were talking about whether one of the potential weaknesses of the, the article was that it didn't give a lot of history. And one of my students said, I just don't think that we are the necessarily the intended audience. Like we can't ask someone to explain their culture to us as like not part of their culture. And they started talking about those sorts of expectations of knowledge and like that academic criticism can be written for different communities in mind and that they are not always the intended target. And then working through that was so much more productive than anything I could have said to them about it, where it would have just been like this preachy thing that they, in one ear out the other, they were really thinking about different discourse communities without using the word discourse. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. But isn't, but I mean, that's so hard to, for us, I think to sit back and just let them talk and we should probably do it more. I think, um, and taking a lot of notes and that helps Yeah, you just write your notes and and especially for things like, because they will bring up really important, um, topics and issues write them down. Okay. We're going to talk more about that later. <laughs> <I'm gonna> <laughs> the promise of tomorrow. Topic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, they get really, and it's so nice because they also see what they bring to the table. Like the first one or two discussions that happens, I'll have a student who comes after class to me and apologizes for not speaking and saying like, everyone just knows so much more than I do. And I go, everyone feels that way. Everyone sits in the room and hears other people talk and they say, they're so much smarter than I am. They just have different knowledge bases than you do. I promise no one in this room is going to judge you when you speak. Um, and we have conversations about that. Like, again, that how, how to disagree respectfully, but we also, um, I say at the very beginning of the first pre- presentation that what I don't have a lot of pet peeves as an instructor, but one of my few and biggest is students disrespecting other students. And that's not tolerated in this class. Um, I will interrupt if people are disrespecting one another and ask you to leave. 
and that we are all in the same position as students in this classroom and that this is our first academic audience. This and, and our, our first academic audience should be a supportive audience because when one of us succeeds, we're all succeeding. You should all want to see each other succeed. No one should be sitting in their desk be, hoping someone fails <laughs> because that's not a productive colleague. And they're all receptive to that. And, and I've never had to ask a student to leave, but I do make that really clear and scary off the bat. <laughs> so I think that's, a, you know, completely uh, acceptable, appropriate, like way of, or necessary way of scaring your students. But I also, what you're saying made me think about how is part of the goal of collaboration in the literature class for students to really see individually what they bring to the table. And, you know, is there a way to prompt them to reflect on that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that a post-assignment reflection or post-semester, end-of-the-semester reflection where they sort of figure out or talk through, you know, what they brought to the table in a collaborative environment. That would be really interesting because one of the reflection activities I've done in the past where I'll do three um, and one's just like the reflection on their own individual growth. One's a reflection on the potential application of the class in the future. And then one is they work with a group to talk about the material overall, what they wish they had, had been covered additionally or instead but also how diff people with different perspectives might understand the potential effective success or failure of the class differently. So like I asked them, like, just don't consider whether you personally like the class, but did the class help you learn? And do you think the class would help students with other, other perspectives learn? And like, why? And like, so they talk about that together, like what worked for them, what, what do they think might not have worked for them or others and all of that. And yeah, um, those are, those sound like really productive reflections as well. It's, it's fun. They, I will be honest. It's like the last week of class that they do it. So they are a little bit like checked out when they do it, which I understand. Um, they end up talking about their final projects mostly. And it's, a little bit difficult to police that mm -hmm. especially because that can be useful for reflection it's part of the class um but it isn't as effective as I would want it to be I think what you're bringing up that the strengths and weaknesses would help tailor it a little bit better I think the way I had it phrased was still a little too subjective for mm -hmm. them to get at the meat of it yeah yeah but I think yeah so Margaret, tell me um, a, I'm asking this question because I have an answer to it. And okay. so um, it's a little unfair, but is there a collaborative project that you haven't done yet in a literature class that you would want to do? Oh, for a literature class. Um, I'm hoping I'm not stealing something you're about to talk about because I know I wanted you to talk about um, your anthologies that you've done in the past for some classes. And I think it would be really fun to have my students write an anthology 
of, of critical, but I think I'm stealing your idea. So I don't want to I say mean, too much because this is something you've kind of come up with and I'm really intrigued by. Well, you're not stealing it because we're collaborative partnership. <laughs> um, but I'm copying your answer on this exam. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I told you I was unfairly asking because I already knew my answer, but I, I have done um, anthology collaborative projects in composition courses, and it has been one of my favorite sort of um, class models. Um, and so I'm going to give like a little bit of background so that you can see yeah. like how I would adapt it for literature class. Because um, I'm going to be transparent. I haven't done it this way in a literature class. And so I, you know, it might not work, um, but I'm hopeful that it would. But so comp class, it's a 102 class. So they're focused on research and they, at the beginning of the semester, choose a keyword that they want to explore. So we read Raymond, some of Raymond Williams on keywords and we read some of the keyword entries from um, like keywords for the environmental studies, keywords for American cultural studies, so on and so forth. Um, and they write a first essay that's just sort of like, here's the word, the history of it, the etymology, um, and how um, it impacts the way we think about the world, right? So that's sort of the, the key kind of thing is that they're trying to make some sort of very preliminary analysis about how this word and its uses, usages and context and the changes impact the world. Then they apply, okay, this keyword to how they see it in a popular culture text. So it's sort of like a textual analysis. And then they get to their research project where like they've spent two papers talking about this word and they're ready to like come up with a thesis statement, right? A research question mm -hmm. slash, and then a thesis statement. So, and then the final project is they take those research papers and they come together with the whole class and figure out how to group themselves, right? So I have a research paper. This was my original keyword. So what I'll do is I'll have them group themselves based on their original keyword, right? So we've got whatever the keywords are, like, um, I'm trying to throw some out. Like, so I've had like modernization, climate, um, uh, dialect is one that comes up every, almost every semester, surprisingly students choose that one. So like, group them to group your yourselves together just based on your keywords and then I have them group themselves together based they write abstracts for their pa their research paper so and then everyone reads them so now group yourself together based on your abstracts and so there's some changes there so we spent like the very like last month essentially working on this project um and then once they've got themselves grouped together those are their home groups and they had to write intros together for each of the sections. And then they work together on Google Doc to collaboratively write um, like an intro for the entire anthology. And they talk about titles and subtitles and, and, you know, and then they put it all in a Google Doc and they hyperlink it so that they can, they have a table of contents and they have images. And then we get to talk about like how to cite images correctly and, and, and so on and so forth. And, we do rounds of workshop so that everybody reads every one of these papers because they're putting them together and um, they have to fill out like a workshop form for each person. Um, and so they're taking their research essay and they're putting it in this new space and they're making edits based on the workshop, but it's not a new project per se, you know, so they're not doing any new writing. So it is a lot of like tiny details to this assignment. Mm -hmm. 
so that was long-winded, but that's what I do in my comp class. And it's been one of the most fun, rewarding projects. Cause you know, we get to the end and they don't have perfect papers, but they've seen 18 other examples of student research papers. They've gotten really good at saying like, well, there's no thesis here or the, I, it needs some work on the thesis. And they've gotten really good at making sure that um, citations are correct. So we also have like subgroups where for the final edits in the last like two weeks, I'll say, okay, like you guys, what, what group of people, which group of people wants to go through and make sure all our hyperlinks work? What group of people wants to go through and make sure everything is cited correctly? And obviously, you know, there's some blips with this, but they, they generally will do it and, and they get really excited and they get super excited about writing that introduction and get very like opinionated about what should be included and what, you know, how it should work. And so I definitely want to adapt this and do it in a lit class. I'm going on a lot, so you can interrupt me at any point, but I I really, I just love this project so much. Like I've talked to you about it before, but I think it is just like this project that hits every skill that we really should be focused, like helping our students develop and hone not just in comp classes but in lit classes like the idea of like this sort of like research and analysis exists in a conversation they're they're with each other what are the themes like your writing skills your editing skills like all of it it's just I think one of the most productive projects I've ever heard (laughs) thanks Margaret it's it's like my favorite pet it's like such a pet project I really love it but um I was thinking about ways I would adapt it for a literature class and I think that what I would do would really, like, I would do this in a literary, like in a literary theory class, right? Like an intro to theory and criticism, use the Norton anthology, have them pay attention, right, to those intros that the Norton gives where they're kind of like placing people in time and space and in conversation and talk about collaboration throughout and like how different pieces are in conversation with each other, different critical theories are in conversation with each other, and then have them choose a theory they want to work with and so like I'd have them sign up and maybe only have like two people per theory or something like it would be it would be like very narrowed have them choose a theory that they would work with and apply it to a text whether that be like a literary text that they're working with in another class or a pop culture text and then spend that they write the paper and then they spend that last month working on the putting their own anthology together let this big project be the basis of all the projects leading up to it right so like early on present on a theory on one of the essays you've re- we've read with the idea of choosing it later down the road as your your central theory or whatever and so like there's a lot I need to flesh out there but that that's definitely exciting to me an exciting yeah. way to have them think about again like theory and criticism as part of like a larger dialogue collaboration Mm -hmm. conversation and the necessity and then how we're bringing those conversations into the contemporary spaces like whether they're using pop culture text or not they're still most likely choosing texts that are more contemporary than the theory that they're reading yeah like what are the stakes you also have me thinking I hadn't considered this a group project but it totally is we'll be talking about or I'll be talking about it in a future episode and making you talk about it with me, annotations and, and how they're useful for building close reading skills. 
but I've been thinking for a while about having a class project be annotating a text together. So um, if we annotate this text, like what do we think is important for readers to know about it? And I've done this sort of work before, but thinking about it as a long-term assignment would be really interesting and having like it be short stories and, and uh, people sign up for the short story they wanna work with to work together but also like deciding as a class which short stories would go together in an anthology, why, and then working on the introduction to like this annotated anthology. Oh, that's cool. That would be really fun to do. Yes, I like that. Yeah. Oh, somebody give us a classroom, I guess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So Margaret, I love collaboration. I love collaborating I like with you, Margaret. It's so I was fun. Gonna say- we're biased on this because I think, especially during this pandemic, when we're like so hungry for human contact, I feel like once a week you or I pitch together, like, want to collaborate on this? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do some more collaborating? Yeah. Um, I heard you like collaborating. So I got you some collaboration to put on your collaborations so that you can collaborate <laughs> while you collaborate. <laughs> yes. But with that in mind, like, do you want to wrap this up and collaborate on our dream classes? Yes, let's do it. So what's your dream class for today. Okay. So I, at this point, I'm like, have I talked about this dream class before? <laughs> um, but I want to teach, I mean, all, obviously thinking about theory today and like the anthology made me think about like an eco-feminist theory class. And to just stick with the theme of collaboration, like thinking about again, like this sort of collaboration between eco-criticism and feminism and why it's like the birth of it, uh, why it's important, what it offers us, perspectives, stuff like that. Um, And so I think my objective would be to understand um, and apply eco-feminism as a framework for reading text. And so I teach uh, like Donna Haraway, um, Rachel Carson, like I do an excerpt from Silent Spring, even though that's like literary theory with a capital L or anything, Patricia Hill Collins. I think I'd also do some like Audre Lorde, Adrian Rich. A contender for my dream class was like famous literary collaborators um, or collaborations, but like Stacey Alamo, Nicole Seymour, Elizabeth Gross. And so like, it would be really theory heavy. And I don't know, like, I'm scared to teach a class where we don't read any literature, we just read theory. But I also am very compelled to do that at some point. Um, Yeah. I'll say like, those classes as an undergrad are what made me feel most like an English major. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. just reading the way I had always read, but that I was actually training. And they, they tend to be the classes I think about the most because of just something will stir like, oh, that's like this, <laughs> which I think I said it to you the other day. We had a, I had a professor in my master's program who made us memorize certain lines. We had to be able to quote the theory. And I always just think Philip Sidney a medicine of cherries because that professor, he would just quote it all the time and you could see how much delight it brought him. And it brings me delight as a result. I'm like, yes, a medicine of cherries. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. But I also think those classes are the ones where um, you're on this like journey Mm -hmm. the entire time, you know, and you're like, 
what am I like for me I was always like what am I what are we what oh that's it yeah I think you have to have as like an instructor a theme in mind which you do um so like to help ground everyone because Mm -hmm. the theories are so varied and it's like well what's linking them together how am I supposed to be putting these into conversation and not just like starting over with with each new theorist but I think having a strong theme like feminist collaboration eco-criticism like it would help ground be like oh okay I see the evolution here that's not just literature from various standpoints that would be fun yes so tell us what your dream course is um, my dream course is I've been thinking a lot because of our book club about feminist books about time travel. Okay. And what my objective would be with this course would be considering how you have an effective issue-based novel. So obviously there's always like politics that are informing a work, but when a work is consciously political, how do you do it without it being like propaganda or preachy? What what are some of the techniques we use to uh, transmit and disseminate progressive ideas? Like and by progressive, I, I'm on one hand mean politically progressive, but also just like new ideas mm-hmm. uh, that move us forward. So I was thinking with something like that, like start with Virginia Woolf's Orlando. Okay. And maybe include um no her name's escaping me joe joe joan lindsey um who did picnic at hanging rock yes for book club um though including that would be somewhat of a spoiler for my 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 students (laughs) they'd be like where's the time travel in this (laughs) but the 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 ideas of time pervade that novel and um doing like the future of another timeline but you could even maybe incorporate some things like um Elizabeth Bowen's House in Paris and how you go back in time. It's not time travel, but the reader is time traveling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just think about how do we play with time and, and, and concepts of time to share ideas. And it's still kind of haphazard because it's just something I've been thinking about the past couple of weeks, but I also just think it would be really fun. Like, let's talk about time travel. <laughs> yeah, and you have to um, talk about Elizabeth Gross's time travels, feminism, nature, power. I had to look it up because the whole time you're talking, I was like, I know a theory for like you know <laughs> yeah. um, that you would probably want to look into. But again, that's sort of a more looking ahead class um, that it's just fun to think about, but. Isn't that the the joy of a dream class? Absolutely. You don't have to have all the answers. You're just, you know, proposing. Yeah. And so until we propose again next time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.